Welcome back, friends. We are finishing, amazingly, we're finishing our uh, study on the book of Revelation. We are coming today to the conclusion of this remarkable book of the New Testament. We're coming to the end of the last book of the New Testament, book of Revelation. So we'll be seeing how John concludes this book, and then I'll conclude with a few words of conclusion after we look at the epilogue. The visions have all ended in the book of Revelation. They ended with the last session uh, where we looked through uh, 22.5 in the text. So today is the, the remainder of the book, chapter 22, verses 6 through 21, which is the last verse in the book of Revelation. This is an epilogue. It appears to be a um, collection of, of sentences, sayings from uh, what may be, if you go through and count, seven, seven, we're not surprised by that, uh, witnesses uh, to the truthfulness of the book and to many of the major themes of the book. Uh, you'll notice in this epilogue to Revelation, there's quite a bit of similarity between this and the prologue. Uh, to the book of Revelation that we started with last fall when we started our study of the book. So if you'll open your Bible to Revelation chapter 22, I'll begin reading at verse 6. And this is the way that um, John brings the book to an end. Verse 6. And he said to me, this is, we assume, the same angel that has been speaking to John and showing John uh, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. So verse 6 continues, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Uh, this is not the first time we've heard these words to be declared reliable, trustworthy, and true. Uh, we are told again that this is uh, a prophecy uh, because it makes reference to the Lord who is the God of the spirits of the prophets, uh, the human spirits of the prophets under divine inspiration. Uh, so the angel is uh, really affirming the reliability of the text uh, and as reaffirmed that what John has seen is uh, a vision to show God's servants what must soon take place, is what verse 6 says. Um, the word soon there has elicited a lot of uh, conversation over the last couple thousand years because uh, it can mean soon as in it will happen in the near future. It can also mean soon as in when it happens, it will happen, happen rapidly or quickly. Uh, the Greek word there, or the Greek phrase is intakos. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with the word tachometer. Uh, the word tachometer comes from this Greek word takos. So I tend to take this soon, not being so much in the very near future, which certainly can be that we're promised uh, here and in other places uh, that uh, return of Christ is always an imminent return of Christ. But it also really may be saying that when it happens, it will happen unexpectedly and rapidly, in tacos, rapidly. Verse 7, and behold, I am coming soon. 
So here we're back to the words of Jesus. Your Bible, if it's a red-letter Bible, may have these words in red. I am coming soon. That's obviously Jesus here in verse 7. And behold, I am coming soon. And here we come to the sixth of our Beatitudes that are scattered throughout the book of Revelation. Uh, These blesseds that are scattered throughout the book of Revelation. And again, we're not surprised there's seven of these Beatitudes in the book of Revelation, two of which occur here in this conclusion, this epilogue. So back back to verse 7, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word, words of the prophecy of this book. Uh, to keep is to just to heed and to live our lives by the words of this prophecy. And we'll say more at the end about uh, the point of this book, to remind ourselves about the whole point of this book. So Jesus, again, is declaring he's coming soon, he's coming unexpectedly, he's coming rapidly. And if we will just read these words in the book of Revelation and heed them, take them to heart, we will be blessed. Verse 8. In verses 8 through 9, we see an episode that's similar to another episode we saw in the book of Revelation, where John uh, begins to offer worship to an angel. And he is... um, uh, scolded a little bit for doing that. Look at verse eight, eight, verses 8 and 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But this angel said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. That's you and I. And then the angel concludes with two simple words, worship God. I think the reason this is um, included a a second time, this type of episode is included a second time, is um, all of us at times fall uh, fall to the temptation of worshiping what is good instead of only worshiping God. Angels are wonderful, remarkable. We should respect them. We should give thanks for them. We're appreciative of the ministry of angels in our lives. Um, they are supremely good in a lot of ways. Um, so I can, I can understand John's tendency to want to fall down at the feet of this angel. But the angel is very right when he says, I'm a fellow servant with you. Angels serve God just like you and I are to serve God. Uh, and we're commanded here to, to, to worship God. Worship God only is what the angel's saying. So in some ways, this is a, uh, almost a concluding statement about the point of the whole book of Revelation. Worship God and God only. And we'll continue to say more about that major thing. Look at verse 10. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the book, for the time is near. Again, this is the angel speaking to John. And the angel is saying to John, don't seal up or don't make private or keep secret the words of this book. Uh, you may recall from uh, your study of the Bible in Daniel chapter 12, uh, Daniel is told to, to seal up the words of his prophecy, uh, perhaps because they were for a distant future. But here, uh, John is told not to seal up the words of this prophecy because they are for the people who are reading them in the first century, and they've been for all of us ever since then. If the return of Christ was imminent in the first century, 
Just imagine how much more imminent it is now. So that's why it says, the angel says to John, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. You've already read that Jesus will return soon, quickly, rapidly, but here you're, it is reaffirmed the time is near. Again, this is God's timing, not ours. So with the Lord, as the Apostle Peter says, with the Lord, a thousand, a thousand years is but as a day. So his time schedule is different from our time schedule. So what he calls near may be a little different from what we call near. But if the return of Jesus was imminent in the first century, how much more imminent is it now? Then verse 11 is a very interesting verse. Um, it's usually a shock to people who first run across it. As soon as, the prof- as soon as the angel says in this prophecy that the time is near, verse 11 says this, Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. When you first look at that, you almost see it as a, a command uh, to continue doing evil, to continue living in a filthy way, or to continue being righteous, to continue being holy. Uh, we know the Bible. We know the mind of God. God's never going to command anybody at any point to say, keep doing evil, keep being filthy. So most of us over the last couple thousand years, when we've dealt with this, what we've tended to say is, following on the phrase, the time is near, verse 11 is just simply reminding us that there will be a time when it will be too late to repent or to change. I think that's what's being implied here. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. There will come a time at the return of the Lord when it will be too late to repent, to amend our lives, uh, to change. So it's not a command to do this. It's just a statement of fact. There will come a time where you cannot make amendment of your life. So we should never put off getting right with God. We should never put repentance off because we don't know how much time we have. Verse 12, uh, again, the second of three times you hear Jesus in this, this epilogue saying he's coming soon. Verse 12, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense or my reward with me to repay each one for what he has done. Uh, it's clear in the New Testament that those who are in Christ, uh, those who have received salvation in Christ, the free gift of salvation in Christ, will also receive something termed recompense or rewards in the kingdom to come. Uh, we need to be careful and not think about recompense or rewards the way we do in this world because for us, that usually means a monetary or a materialistic reward. It usually means something that differentiates people one from another. Um, so whatever he means by the rewards that will be given to the um, people who have salvation in Christ is, is, is something different than what we would tend to give out as rewards. But the Bible is pretty clear that once you receive the gift of salvation, the free gift of salvation, you've got to work out that salvation with fear and trembling, to quote the Apostle Paul from Philippians. You've got to then live obediently. 
So I, I suspect that these rewards, this recompense, uh, has something to do um, closely with the obedience that we live after we are in Christ. That's why Jesus says, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense or rewards with me to repay each one for what he's done. We don't know what these are exactly. Uh, sometimes they're referred to as different types of crowns in the New Testament. But I'm reminded even when the New Testament talks about the crowns that we believers will receive, that there will come a time when we will lay our crowns before God. We'll cast our crowns before God. But we, we, do, we do get some sort of recompense for the way we lived out our salvation in this world. Verse 13, Jesus is speaking, and that's important to note because in verse 13, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It's really significant to see that this is Jesus speaking here because two other times in the book of Revelation, God speaks and says that. And in the book of Isaiah, in the Old Testament, God speaks and says that. So here is Jesus saying the same thing. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So he is the Alpha, that's the first letter of the Greek alphabet. The Omega, that's the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning and the end. He is the, the source and the um, goal of all of life. Uh, I'm sure that when Jesus said this in his Jewish context, speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, he said, I, I am the Aleph and the Tav. Those are the um, uh, Greek le the Hebrew letters of the Hebrew alphabet. But uh, again, this is Jesus uh, displaying for us his claim to divinity, his claim to being part of the Godhead. Verse 14, here comes the seventh and last beatitude. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. So this beatitude, this blessed, is promised to those who wash their robes. Uh, to wash your robes means to uh, receive forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ. What I want you to notice from the text is the, the way the verb is used. Blessed are those who wash, not who have washed, but who wash their robes. Uh, is a continuous action in the Greek tense of the verb. Blessed are those who go on in their life washing their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Uh, that's the city we've been looking at in the last two sessions, the New Jerusalem, the Holy City. That's where we encountered the tree of life, which we lost uh, in the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, but we receive it again when we uh, enter the Holy City uh, in, in eternity. Um, but notice this washing of our robes is an ongoing action. Uh, we Christians are called to live a life of ongoing repentance and ongoing washing of our robes, washing of our lives through the blood, the life of Christ. That's the beatitude. Verse 15 is uh, another one of those startling verses for a couple reasons. Verse 15 is going to reference those who are left outside of. This city. Verse 15 says, Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Well, if you're like me and you love your dog tremendously, it is a little startling when you see here in verse 15 that outside the final kingdom are the dogs. 
Uh, but you need to understand something about the use of the word dogs here in, in the New Testament. In the ancient world, dogs were not domesticated like they are in the modern world. In the ancient world, they were scavengers. And that's why in, in the ancient world, in both Hebrew Bible and New Testament, uh, the Jewish community, the, the Hebraic community, actually used the word dogs to refer to people um, that were filthy. And that's why, um, for instance, um, in, in the Hebrew Bible at one point, dogs referred to male prostitutes. In the book of uh, Matthew, New Testament, Jesus refers, or you see a reference to the to Gentiles, to pagans, those outside the faith, as dogs. In Philippians, uh, Paul refers to the Judaizers as dogs. Those are Christians who are trying to force the law of Moses onto Gentile Christians. So uh, it's, it's very common to see in the scriptures in the ancient world, dogs not meaning literal dogs, but dogs because of how they were used and seen in the ancient world referring to um, unclean people. And we see that here. That's what the list is. Outside the city, outside the eternal city, outside the New Jerusalem uh, are the dogs. And that may imply all that the Bible has implied thus far with use of the word dogs. Uh, male prostitutes, those outside the faith and those who wish to change the gospel. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers. That literally says drug users. It's the word from which we get pharmacy in the, in the modern world. So outside of the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral. That's that uh, kind of catch-all word, porneia, for all the people that do not abide by Jewish sexual ethics. Uh, Acts 15 shows that when the Christian church had to decide what we needed to keep from the Jewish faith, Jewish sexual ethics was one of the things we needed to keep from the Jewish faith. So that's all sexual activity outside the boundaries that God has set. So outside of the dogs, the, the drug users, the sexually immoral, the murderers and the idolaters. And notice it says, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood or lies. Uh, this whole list, by the way, are people who love and practice lies. Uh, the devil is called the father of lies. And those who follow the devil are the children who practice and love falsehood or lies. So I think what John's saying here um, is not so much that, you know, in the eternal kingdom you're going to be able to look across the wall and see some other people. Uh, you're actually told just a few chapters earlier in the book of Revelation that this list, almost exactly this list, uh, talk about the people who are cast into the lake of fire. So I think John here is just making sure we are reminded uh, that the New Testament doesn't teach universalism. The New Testament does not teach that at the end it's going to be okay for everybody. Uh, human beings are so dignified, human choices are so important, human beings are so esteemed by God that God will let people choose something other than God. And that's why the New Testament is not a, doctor, a, a, not a document or documents that teach universalism. There will be people outside of the holy city, the final uh, kingdom, the New Jerusalem. Uh, so now look at verse 16. We're back to hearing the words of Jesus. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you. The word there in Greek is y'all, 
is plural to you all. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you all. He's not just talking to John, but all of us. I have sent my angel to testify to you all about these things for the churches. So we, we all should be listening to this. The seven churches that were referenced at the beginning of Revelation and all of the churches today. And then Jesus makes another dramatic statement. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Um, it's pretty clear to most people he's a descendant of David. But notice here he claims he is the root of David. He is the creator of David. He is the heir of David's line. So again, this is another um, declaration of the divinity, the deity of Christ. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. This is a reference that goes back to Numbers 24, 17. Uh, one of the Messianic prophecies in uh, the Pentateuch where the um, Messiah will be a bright morning star. Um, you see that in Numbers. So here Jesus, again, is claiming Old Testament prophecy that he is the Messiah, the bright morning star. He's claiming this title for himself, but think about that title for just a moment. He's the bright morning star. What does the bright morning star do? The bright morning star announces the coming of day announces that the, the night is over. So with the return of Jesus, the new day will come. The new eternal day will come. And the long, long night, the long, long darkness of the night that is this age will be over. Jesus is the bright morning star. Verse 17, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It's easy in this verse to think the come here is another reference to what Jesus has been saying. I am coming soon. So it's easy to look at this and, and think it's, a, it's an invitation from the Spirit, Holy Spirit, the bride, the church, to Jesus saying come. But most of us uh, assume, because if you look at the rest of the verse, it makes sense, that this invitation is an invitation from the Spirit and the Bride of Christ, the church, uh, to all of humanity to come, to come to Christ. And that's why after it says the Spirit and the Bride of Christ, the church, together say come, the next sentence says, and let the one who hears say come. So this is a text about evangelism where the Spirit empowers the church to say come. And then all those who come need to turn around and say come to all the others. And that's why the verse continues. And let the one who is thirsty come and the one who desires take the water of life or the life-giving water without price. So here in verse 17 you hear uh, the offer of the gospel to the whole human family. Beautiful text. Beautiful text. Verse 18. And in that text, by the way, again, you see the reference to grace. Uh, let, the th let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It's offered to us as a gift. Verse 18 and 19, we find a warning that is fairly typical in apocalyptic literature. We even find it elsewhere in the Bible, like the book of Deuteronomy. It occurs twice. So in verse 18, here's this warning that comes at the end of the book of Revelation. John says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book 
If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Um, this, this tinkering with the words of the prophecy can mean two things. It might have reference to the actual text, written text of the book, or it may have reference to the teaching of the book. Uh, don't toy with either. Don't change either. Uh, and that's probably true. In the ancient world, there was, uh, before printing, um, everything that was produced had to be written by a scribe. And we know this from a lot of ancient documents. Scribes are never perfect. Uh, sometimes they make mistakes when they, when they scribe, when they rescribe another book to pass it on to make another copy. Uh, there's no copyrights in the ancient world. Sometimes uh, documents would be written and someone else would claim the authorship of the document, which is why it's, it's typical in the ancient world for a warning such as this that occurs here in the book of Deuteronomy, a warning such as this that says, don't, don't change what's written. Uh, and that's, that's certainly true. Sometimes I hear this referenced as if it's a warning not to change anything in the Bible anywhere. Oh, obviously that's not what it means because the Bible as we know it, the New Testament along with the Old Testament, hasn't been compiled yet. So it can't be a reference to the whole Bible. And uh, sometimes I even hear people rather unreflectively take this as a meaning that, they can't, that you can't make translations of the Bible. And sometimes very unreflectively, I, I, I hear people use this as a reason to, to use the King James Version of the Bible only. And of course, the King James Version of the Bible was a translation that occurred 1,600 years after the Greek and the Hebrew. So it is itself a translation. It isn't an English translation. It was not even the first English translation. Uh, so it's certainly not just a reference to some English translation that's been made in recent history. So I think um, it may apply to the text of the original book of Revelation. This is just the author saying, don't, don't mess with what I've written. But I think the important thing also is to note is that we shouldn't mess with the teaching. Uh, what is taught here is authoritative for us. That's why it is now in the New Testament for us. It's authoritative. And to um, change it, to... Um, toy with it um, intentionally. Now, we all kind of get some things wrong from time to time, but intentionally to change what God is teaching is, is dangerous. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So it is a dire warning. So now, we come to the last two verses of the book of Revelation. Um, these are amazing verses for so many reasons. Uh, look at these last two verses of the book of Revelation. And keep in mind, when the early church put the New Testament together in the order in which we have it, they, they were intentional about that order. The New Testament books are not given to us in chronological order. The Gospels are first because they have preeminence 
in the church. Uh, the letters of Paul, book of Acts, letters of Paul, and all the epistles come after that. Uh, the letters of Paul are older than the Gospels, but they come after the Gospels in the New Testament because the ordering of these books is an intentional ordering. So I say that to say these words are not only the end of the book of Revelation. I think the early church fathers and mothers also saw this as a way to end the Bible. Uh, look at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says... So this is John. He's the one who's been testifying to all these things. So this is John speaking to us. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So John is reminding us of what we've heard. This is the third time we've heard it just simply here in the epilogue. Jesus is coming soon. We need to never forget that. Uh, we say that in the Apostles' Creed, in all the creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. We say that in all of our creeds. He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Of course, amen, that's a Hebrew word that's uh, just kept in, the, kept in the Greek. It means um, so be it. So Jesus, John's reminds us, Jesus says, surely I'm coming soon. Our, our response to that is, so be it, amen. And then here comes uh, an amazing phrase, come Lord Jesus. This is actually the Greek translation of an Aramaic word. And the Aramaic word actually is used by Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 22. Uh, and when we see Aramaic words being used in the New Testament, um, in the recorded in the New Testament Greek, what that says to us is these were Aramaic words, words from Jesus, words that link us to Jesus, because Jesus spoke Aramaic, that continued in the church being used. And these Aramaic words were even being used by the Gentile uh, Christians, not just the Jewish people who knew Aramaic, but even as the faith went worldwide to the Greek-speaking world, there were some Aramaic words that remain part of the Christian, I think, Christian liturgy, part of Christian worship. Um, Abba is one of those. That's an Aramaic word for father that Jesus used, and the early Christians, even the non-Hebrew-speaking Christians, kept using the word Abba. Here, this come Lord Jesus is an Aramaic phrase. Again, it's quoted directly. It's left in Aramaic, uh, quoted directly in 1 Corinthians 16 at the end of Paul's letter. Come Lord Jesus is um, the Greek translation or the English translation of the Greek translation of the Aramaic Maranatha, Maranatha. So Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha was probably just like the word Abba, just like the word Hallelujah, just like the word Amen, was a word of Hebrew Aramaic that um, even the non-Hebrew Jewish Aramaic speaking people uh, kept in their Christian worship. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. I, I encourage you to consider making that part of your prayer life. Maranatha, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Or it's actually literally, come, O Lord. Uh, come, Lord Jesus. Come, O Lord. Obviously, that must have been a prayer. That was an integral part of early Christian worship. Come, Lord Jesus. So it obviously is a tremendous way to end the book of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus. When the church wearies of the darkness of this world, um, it sends us to that prayer frequently. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. 
And then the last words of the um, book of Revelation, the last words in the New Testament. It actually goes back to, uh, to using a formula like the Apostle Paul. Uh, this last phrase is very different or unusual for apocalyptic literature. This kind of closing to the book never occurs in all the other apocalyptic works of, of first, second century Judaism. And the way it closes here is verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all. Amen. So you see a reference to grace, uh, the invitation still being given, the grace can still be yours, the grace of the Lord Jesus uh, be with all. You'll notice in your Bible there's probably a little, little number beside the word all, and to bomb the page it tells you some manuscripts actually say with all the saints. Uh, that's who, it's the saints, it's the people of God, it's the set-apart people of Jesus Christ who experience grace. They receive grace, they experience grace. Uh, so we do have manuscript warrant for saying with all the saints. Most contemporary, um, more modern translations think the better translation, uh, the older manuscripts just say the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all. Amen. So be it. So it is amazing to me that the book of Revelation and the New Testament ends with the prayer, Maranatha, come, O Lord, and it ends with grace. That is distinctively Christian. It ends with grace. As we mentioned about verse 11, there will come a time when there will, there will not be an opportunity to make amendment of life, to repent, to change, to turn toward Christ. Um, the book of Revelation is ending with an invitation that uh, if you're reading this book now, you still have time to repent and turn from your wickedness, your, your way of living as we live as people in this world and take on the mind of Christ and turn toward Christ. So that's the conclusion from John. Uh, let me just offer you um, a quotation from probably the single most influential New Testament scholar for me in regards to the book of Revelation. Uh, I, I read, I have a fairly extensive library of commentaries and books on apocalyptic literature, on eschatology, on the book of Revelation. But uh, when I think of all the great Christians who have written, uh, George Eldon Ladd uh, has been one that has heavily influenced me going way back to my seminary days. Uh, George Eldon Ladd is, is deceased now. He, he taught uh, New Testament Fuller Theological Seminary for a long time. And in many ways, he, um, he helped the modern, uh, modern Christian Protestant world uh, uh, re-embrace premillennialism. He's one of those historic premillennialists premillennialist that takes us back to the New Testament. So I, I like what he writes. Um, he says this at the end of his commentary on the book of Revelation, which I, I do commend to you, the commentary. He says this, the prophecies of the Revelation were not written to satisfy intellectual curiosity about the future. They were written that the church people of Jesus, might be able to live in the will of God by keeping the words of the prophecy. Here in the prologue, we heard that over and over. I continue with Ladd's quotation. The church of the first century, the church of the last generation that sees the coming of Christ, as well as the church in every age, 
finds herself caught up in the struggle between Christ and Antichrist. We need to be sure that we worship God and God alone. We need to be sure that for us Jesus is Lord, and that means Caesar is not. That means no one else is. Jesus is Lord. Because this battle between Christ and Antichrist has been going on throughout the history of the church. It will culminate one day with the last great Antichrist who, who tries to pull people away from Jesus Christ. And we need to be careful. That's why this book is a warning uh, for us to live faithfully in this world, no matter how difficult this world becomes. We need to live faithfully in this world. True to Jesus Christ. Thank you for taking this journey with me. I'll look forward to um, a, a new Bible study beginning in the fall, and I hope that you will join me for that. God bless you.